Good morning. There's a man back in history not too far uh, long ago named Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss was the first man in U.S. history to receive the Medal of Honor without ever firing a shot in war. He was what was known as a conscientious objector. Because of his religious beliefs and his convictions, Desmond decided he would never bear arms, never uh, attack or shoot another person in an attempt to kill them. And so throughout most of his military career, Mr. Doss was ridiculed by his fellow soldiers. I mean, why would a soldier enter into battle and not carry arms or not decide to kill the enemy that's trying to attack him or try to attack our country? And so most of his military career, he had these convictions that he held to, that he would not bear arms, he would not kill another human being. And because of that, he was ridiculed all of his career until something began to change, until he started helping soldiers in ways that others were not able to help. See, Desmond Doss was a field medic. He was the man who was there to help his platoon as they came out of battle, injured and wounded and scarred. He was the one who would care for them and heal them so they could be sent back out. And story after story came of Desmond Doss, not just in a tent caring for people in a medical facility, but going out into the field, out onto the battlefield, risking his own life with nothing to protect him and nothing to defend himself with. Going out into battle in the middle of the day, in the middle of the night with shots fired everywhere, pulling and dragging and carrying his fellow soldiers back to a place where he could provide safety and care for them. And one night in particular really defines his story. It was a night in uh, Okinawa on top of a hill known as Hacksaw Ridge. He goes out in the battle and, and our troops were attacked heavily and they were being defeated and, and being wounded left and right. And so Desmond runs out into the field and pulls a man to safety. And as he gets him to safety, he sees another man out in the field and he runs back again on the top of Hacksaw Ridge and drags another man and ties him and drops him down with a rope so that he could be led to safety. And over and over and over again throughout the battle, Doss goes back into the war and back into the fight to pull out and to rescue his fellow men and his troops. Over the course of that battle, over the course of that day, Desmond Doss rescued and saved between 50 and 100 men. He says it's 50. The president, as he gave him the Medal of Honor, said it was 75. And reports are as high as 100. Despite himself being injured four separate times, one time receiving a shot from a sniper in the left arm that fractured his arm, he continued to go back and back into battle to rescue and to save his men. And what was ridicule by his fellow soldiers turned into respect. They respected a man who gave up his life, who showed bravery and courage in ways that nobody else thought was possible from him or anybody else was really willing to do for their fellow soldier. So this perceived cowardice now manifested itself as extreme courage and the thought process of who Desmond Doss was changed during that battle on Hacksaw Ridge. And all of his fellow men and all of his fellow soldiers gave him this respect and honor that was due him because of his bravery and because of his courage. And the thing for us is we think bravery and courage happens in those moments. We think we have to do something so huge and so monumental that we'll receive a Medal of Honor. Or they'll make a movie about our life. We think it has to happen in those moments where the bright lights are shining and everybody is watching. We think we have to grow up in a certain family or have a certain heritage or a lineage that we have to be brave, a superhero, have to have this, this shining armor around us or have these cert certificates or these certifications or we have to have something in us that we possess, this skill that gives us the ability to have bravery and courage. But bravery and courage doesn't happen when the bright lights are shining. The only bright lights were shining that evening were the bright lights of the weapons that were firing at Doss's men. There were no cameras. There were no reporters. 
Nobody was making a movie about him going back into battle, showing bravery and courage over and over again. And we think it has to happen in this monumental way, but bravery and courage comes in all packages and sizes. Courage happens when nobody else is looking in the everyday acts of life. When nobody's watching you step forward and help that other person. When nobody's standing there reporting on your act of courage and bravery to do something for somebody else that costs you to sacrifice something in your own life. Bravery and courage doesn't happen when everybody else is watching. It happens in those little moments of every day, making decisions, making choices, standing up for someone or letting go of something else to say, I'm going to stand here, stand firm. I don't know what the outcome will be. I have uncertainty about this decision. I have fear raging inside of me because I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what's beyond this step. I don't know when I take a step into this battlefield. I don't know what's going to come at me or how I'm going to survive it. But it stands firm and it stands ready and it stands there to do whatever is called of them and expected of them. Ready to take a step forward into the unknown despite the uncertainty or even the known outcome that will happen in taking this step of bravery. Because here's what we have to know. For people who display and show this bravery, what compels them is greater than what scares them. What drives us, what pushes us, the force behind us, whatever it is for us. Whatever is that is compelling us and drawing us out into the battlefield of our lives is so much greater than the unknown or the uncertainty or the fear that stands in front of us. That sometimes we take this step and I don't know financially how it's going to work out. I don't know how this relationship is going to manifest itself. I don't know how I'm going to live without someone else in my life if I walk away from this situation. And we walk into the uncertainty and into the darkness and into the unknown, but we know that the fear that is standing there cannot overcome us because what is compelling us and leading us and drawing us out into the battlefield of our lives is so much greater and so much more valuable and so much more worthy than the uncertainty that's coming at us. And so over the course of this series, over the course of the next few weeks, I want to look at people in our history and people in Scripture and people in our faith who took those moments of courage who had bravery, even when nobody else was watching, even if it led to uncertainty, and sometimes even if it led to known death or or severity happening in their life. I want to look at those because I think sometimes we separate ourselves from Scripture in the sense that that's an old book. It's a recorded history of what people had done in the past, and God somehow gave them favor and special ability and special power to do the miraculous things that he was calling them to do so the Bible could be written so the rest of the world could know who God was. But the story of God goes on forever. The story of God lives on from the beginning of time until the end of time. And the story of God includes people in the everyday walk of life to show bravery and courage for his good and for his glory. And that includes you and me. It didn't stop at the end of the New Testament. The bravery that these men and women displayed in the Old Testament and the New Testament thousands of years ago did not end when the New Testament ended. It's a continuation of who we are as the people of God to step out into the darkness, out into the uncertainty, say, God, I don't know what you're calling me to. I actually probably do. I just want to act like I don't. I don't know what's out there. I don't know what's coming at me, but I probably do. I have an idea of what it's going to look like and what it's going to cost me. And God is compelling us to go out into that darkness, to stand firm and to stand for what is right or to do what is different than everybody else, not to be different, but simply because he wants to use me in this day, in this story, for his good, for his glory, so that I can be dependent upon him and people will know who he is through the life I'm called to live. 
And you and I are called to live with bravery and courage every single day. And so I'm hoping that these pictures of these stories and these men and women will give us that sense of the Holy Spirit empowering us, calling us to step out just as they had. And it's not this sense of, oh, they're special people. They're not special people. None of the ones that we will talk about over the next few weeks are special. They simply relied on God and the Holy Spirit to give them the courage that they did not possess within of themselves. And so today I want to start with a man that we referenced a few weeks ago. We didn't talk about him very much. He's actually my favorite story outside of Jesus, my favorite story in all of Scripture. He was a young man when the church was beginning to explode at the turn of of the the New Testament as Christ has come and given his life and and resurrected and gone back to heaven. And then the, the early church is beginning and it's exploding everywhere. And because it's exploding, the leaders of the church, known as the apostles, who are going around preaching and teaching this message, thousands of people were coming to faith. And so the makeup and the structure of this church is changing. They could not do things the way they did before because they have so many more people to reach and so many more people to care for. And so these leaders, these apostles, called forth seven men, who we call as deacons, who are just really servants, who are godly men. They, they called forth to care for the daily needs of the people who are being reached and entering into this family of God. And so this man, Stephen, is the one that we're going to look at today, starting in Acts chapter 6, and we'll go through Acts chapter 7 as well. So beginning in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, this is part of his story. As the apostles say this, pick out from among you, among the, the gathering of the people. Pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, who will you appoint to this duty to care for people. But we will devote ourselves to prayer to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole congregation, the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And so these apostles weren't necessarily wanting to do away with the job or the role of caring for people. They just knew their specific delegation and designation was to continue to push forth the message throughout all the regions. And they wanted to care for people they were reaching with the gospel. So they brought up these seven men who would care for these daily needs and they would provide this concern for people day to day. And so Stephen was one of these men. And what I want us to see about him is he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not something Stephen does in his own power. This is him being filled every single day with the Spirit of God. He was full of faith, which meant he trusted God fully. Whatever you're calling me to do, wherever you're sending me, whatever you're asking of me, I trust fully in who you are and what you want and expect of my life. And so that's just kind of an overview of who Stephen is. And then we get to verse 8. And it says again, and Stephen, full of grace and power. There's that again, just to kind of remind you, this is who this man is. Full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So Stephen was filling this new role. He was called forward as a leader within the church. He was called up into this position to, to provide care for this new family that God was creating called the church. And he was doing it with passion and greatness, just like he had lived his life before. So before, Stephen was full of the Spirit and full of faith. And as he does this work, he is still full of the Spirit and still full of faith. And listen to this. This is side note. This is completely different outside of the message. But sometimes when you get a position you allow your competence to overcome your character. This is about a man of character, not of competence, which is why bravery and courage doesn't manifest manifest itself in someone who has made themselves into an intellectual, brave, strong person. God does that from within. And so he continues to lean and trust on God, being full of faith. But here's what I want you to remember this. We say this 
all the time. We have a few sayings that we say over and over and over again. We just said it to the people who were baptized a couple of weeks ago. This is the saying we want you to know. When you step forward toward God, when you step into a position, when you walk more closely with him, you decided to do something that God was calling you to, you have to remember this every single time. Every time you take a step toward God, the enemy takes a step toward you. Every single time time and we don't want you to be unaware Paul says this later he says brothers I don't want you to be unaware there is spiritual warfare that we talked about a few weeks ago there is an attack that will come after you because the enemy Satan wants to destroy any step you take toward God whatever it is no matter how small or how big it is he wants to destroy your family your reputation he wants to destroy your passion and your resolve and it happens with Stephen as well this is a part of his story it's only two chapters but this is a part of his story so in verse 9 This is what it says. Then some who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those of Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So here he is, a man full of the Spirit, a man full of faith, helping people, preaching the message of God, trying to bring people into faith with God, and they start to rise up against him. Verse 11. And then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people against him and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and they seized him and they brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses against him. They brought these men before who they said, you need to say these things against Stephen because we need to convict him of something he hasn't done. So we need false evidence and testimony to be able to do so. So they brought up these false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So here's Stephen. He's just simply doing what God called him to do. He's just loving people and caring for people. And he's saying, look, I know we grew up in this one system of Judaism with sacrifices, but Jesus has now come and he's the ultimate sacrifice. We don't have to worry about rules and laws and, and obeying certain ordinances. Even though we obey Christ, we are obeying and following him. We're not trying to obey the letter of the law. Our hearts are being changed and being transformed as we live our lives in him. And these men of the old guard of the old way decided they didn't want to have anything to do with that because they didn't want their system to be destroyed. And so Stephen is, is caring for people. First and foremost, and we know people won't hear a thing you say until they know you care about them, right? So here's Stephen caring for people. And as he's caring for people, he's preaching the message of Christ. Because again, what compels you is greater than what scares you. He was compelled not just to do things in an altruistic fashion, because it's what we do, it's good to be nice to other people. He was doing it because Jesus had changed his life and because he wanted Jesus to change other people's lives as well. So he goes and he ministers to people. He cares for people. He gives them tangible, physical, daily needs that they have, and he cares for those. But the the reason he does that is because Christ has compelled him to love them in this way. And so he preaches this message. And as he does, these people who he's caring for begin to attack him and destroy him. And don't be caught off guard when that happens. Uh, If you've never experienced that before, just become a parent, right? Right? The people you want to care for are the ones who are attacking you. You're like, look, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to take care of you. So Stephen is caring for these people, and they are attacking him, and they're coming at him in every way possible. It's a layered effect of direct attacks and these subversive methods and false witnesses coming at him. They're putting words in his mouth and words in other people's mouths, and they're doing this because they're hoping to destroy his credibility. 
They're going to destroy his reputation. And as they destroy his reputation, they're going to take away his resolve. That he doesn't feel compelled to do this anymore because it costs him something. More than he thought going into the process. And so they're just going to dismantle him piece by piece. He is under attack. As we go through this, I want you to watch his responses. I'm going to say this a couple of times. Watch his response, watch his response, watch his response. Now you can't respond in a way that's outside of your character. Not consistently. You can do it once, but you can't do it consistently. So as he responds, he's responding out of who he truly is. His being full of the Spirit and being full of faith. And so this is, this is how they see him and how he responds. As they're attacking him. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Which means there's some grace there. There's some calm, some peace. They're putting false witnesses in front of him. And they're putting words in his mouth saying he said things he did not say. And they could not stand against him. Because he wasn't filled with intellect. He wasn't filled with evidence. He was filled with wisdom. This is, look, I, I follow a power that's greater than yours, that's greater than mine. I, I can explain it, but I don't have to explain it to defend myself. There, there is a knowledge that goes beyond human understanding. And he's doing so not in a position of, of piety, but a position of humility and grace, which is what it says in verse 15. As they gazed at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. You tell me the next time you're attacked what your face looks like. Probably not the face of an angel, right? I mean, you know, the face only a mother could love. So this man is being slandered. He's being attacked. He's being ridiculed. He's being falsely accused, bad-mouthed, stabbed behind the back. And they look at him, and he's full of wisdom, full of grace, full of the Spirit, full of integrity. We just look at his countenance. He is on trial, literally. They came and they grabbed him and they put him on trial in front of the whole town. Everybody is watching and everybody is jumping in on this attack. He is standing alone in this moment. But watch this. What compels him is greater than what scares him. Because he is filled with the fullness of God. And even though the entire town is pouring on him, his countenance never changed. Because what compelled him wasn't just greater than what scared him. What compelled him was everything to him. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. You can put false things in front of me. You can accuse me of doing things I did not do or things I did not say. But I have a defender that's greater than an attorney that's sitting beside me or the judge that's sitting before me. I have a defender who will go to the judge and will say, Judge, he's with me. Everything they're saying about him isn't true. I'll vouch for him. I'll not only vouch for him, I'll die for him. And so the circumstances and the accusations that, that he found himself in, I want you to watch this. They did not direct or determine his behavior or his reaction. The accusations did not change the way he behaved. The circumstances did not change the way he reacted. He reacted in the fullness of God and the Spirit and the fullness of faith. And so then the high priest, the, the Supreme Court judge, gives him an opportunity to give his defense. So he says this. He looks at Stephen in, in chapter 7 and verse 1. He says, so the high priest says, are these things so? So he gives him a chance to defend himself. Now, the accusations and the circumstances didn't change his behavior. 
But watch this too. They did not cause him to wither in the face of them either. He didn't back away, step away, pull away and say, no, I, I, I understand the town's against me. I'm just going to turn the other cheek and I'm not going to say a word. You can believe whatever you want to say. He didn't do that either. Stephen stands there in the rest of most of the bulk of chapter 7. And he begins to give a defense. He lays out the truth in front of this high priest and in front of the court and in front of all the town and all the people. And he simply tells them the truth, again, with the face of an angel, filled with wisdom, dignity, character, and grace. And he recounts all of their history that all of them knew and understood. And he goes back to the very beginning of Abraham, how God had called Abraham out of his homeland and into a place he did not know, which caused Abraham to display courage and, and exemplify bravery to say, God, I don't know where you're going with this. I don't, I've never been there. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know all the resources it's going to take. But God, you called me to go, so I'm going to go. And God said, I'm going to give you this land and I'm going to make you a great nation and a great people. Well, first of all, Abraham had no clue where he was going and had no son to give descendants to make a great people and a great nation. And God miraculously brings forth Isaac. And Stephen's telling this story to the Sanhedrin and to all the council. He says, and God miraculously brought a son, Isaac, to Abraham. And God called Abraham to sacrifice this son, Isaac, as a test of his faith. But before he could sacrifice him, God gives them a ram who would be the sacrifice. And so Isaac would continue to live. He would be the one that God would bring forth this great people. And so Isaac gives birth to Jacob over time. And Jacob has these 12 sons who would be the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of the people of God, the people of Abraham. And you can see this this promise starting to be fulfilled as God starts to spread out this one man, this one family into a group of families and into a nation, into a people. But unfortunately, those 12 sons, just like all siblings, 11 of them did not like their younger brother, Joseph. And so they decided he, he gets the favor of dad. He gets all the presents and all the things that mom and dad would offer. So I've got a plan. We've got a plan. Let's kill him. No, let's not kill him. Let's make money off of him. So they sell him into slavery, into Egypt. And so he's in Egypt, and, and if you've heard the story before, toward the end, Joseph says, what man meant for harm, God meant for good. Because as he's in Egypt, Joseph wins the favor of the Pharaoh, and he's able to do things and become second in command in ways that we never would have been able to written the story or foreshadow what would happen. And so as he is there, going through difficulty, then rising to this position, God starts to give birth to this nation, fulfilling the promise, and the people of God begin to grow and grow and grow into the fulfillment of becoming that nation. Well, another Pharaoh comes along after this one, and this Pharaoh does not know Joseph, does not know the people of God, and so he becomes angry with these people, and he puts them into slavery. And so the, the promise of finding their own land and being their own people is threatened again. That, that maybe this would not happen because they found themselves enslaved in Egypt. Well, God brings up another man named Moses throughout our history, and he sends Moses to the people of God and to the Pharaoh in Egypt and says, I want you to free these people. I want you to let them go. And the Pharaoh's like, you're crazy. This is my workforce. I'm not letting them go. And so Moses said, okay, God called me to this and, and pulled me and directed me here, and I didn't want to come here. I thought it was a bad idea. I was scared to death to, to stand before you, but I through the power of the Spirit, displayed bravery and courage to stand in front of you. And not in my own power, but in the power of God, he's going to do 10 specific things that we know as plagues. He's going to do 10 specific things that will cause you to release these people. And after the 10th plague, that's exactly what happened. The Pharaoh of Egypt released those people, and this, that was one family years before, 
had grown into a people and a nation and had been set forth on a course to enter into the land that God had promised to their father Abraham. And Stephen goes through the whole history of the Old Testament and the whole history of the people of God and the history of the people that are sitting here in this court because they are grandsons and great-grandsons of the people that, that Stephen has been mentioning. And he recounts God's faithfulness all the way through history, leading up to Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the sacrifice and the promise to free the people, not from slavery physically, but from slavery spiritually. And these people, as they hear this, cannot stand what Stephen is saying. Because as he recounts God's faithfulness, he also recounts the people's unfaithfulness. And he looks at them, face of an angel, filled with the Spirit, with grace, and does not back down. And in verse 51 says this, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in the heart. That's like a yo mama joke. (laughs) You always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did, you're doing it today. And in verse 52, he continues, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? All of them. They gave them all a hard time for stepping up and being brave and having courage and doing what God was calling them to do to lead this group of people. And they killed all those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Not only did you destroy and, and try to defame me and defame the prophets, you killed. He's not saying the Romans did. He said, you killed the one that Jesus sent. Because you didn't believe, because you wanted to hold on to your own system. He says, you betrayed him and you murdered him. And you who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. You are the ones who are not living faithfully. Grace, truth, dignity, face of an angel. And in the face of danger, Stephen spoke with bravery even though he did not know the outcome of what would happen as a result of him speaking the truth. Now, we have a hard time with this, just to be honest, right? We err on one side or the other. We err on the side of, you know, I'm just going to take a back seat. I'm going to step back, and I don't like conflict, and I don't like controversy. And, you know, they can believe what they want to believe and say what they want to say about God or about Christians or about me. And I'm just going to step back, and hopefully somebody will step up and defend the faith. And then there's those of us on the other side. We are going to bulldoze anybody and everybody we can and cry foul at everything that doesn't meet our standard. We're going to picket. We're going to rail against. We're going to boycott. We're going to scream at. We're going to yell at. And we don't care who gets bulldozed. We don't care who gets hurt. Just as long as our voice is heard. But Stephen found a way to, to straddle between the two. Because neither one of these reactions, neither one of these responses are helpful. Neither one of these help people understand who God is. But in the face of danger, in the face of uncertainty, in the face of difficulty, without knowing the outcome, without knowing what's going to happen to him, even though he probably had a good idea. If you call these people stiff-necked and uncircumcised, the leaders of the whole people, you probably have a good idea what's coming for you. And so in verse 54, this is what we see. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. That's awesome, right? 
So next time you hear me say something I don't, you don't like, y'all just start grinding your teeth, okay? So then it goes on to the next verse, and he says, but he, again, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, even in this moment, still filled with the Spirit. This is my favorite part. I love this. If you've ever heard me teach on Stephen before, I love this part. Like, it's awesome. Um, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen lived in full control of the Spirit, full control of faith, full control of his life every single day. Every day. There was nothing special about Stephen. He just woke up every day and said, God, what do you want me to do? He just woke up every day and said, I'm gonna love people and care about people. I'm gonna preach the message of Christ. God, what do you want me to do? I'm just going to step forward into this. I don't care what comes at me. I don't care about the uncertainty. I'm just a regular, everyday guy. I don't have any special abilities. I'm just going to step into your power, not into my own power. I'm going to do what you've called me to do, not what I think I have the, the capability to do. I'm going to do what you've asked me to. I'm not going to run from it because it scares me. Because I don't know how it's going to turn out or what it's going to cause me to sacrifice or to give up. But I'm just going to simply wake up every day as an everyday human being with no power or ability in and of myself. And Jesus, I'm going to step and I'm going to stand for you. And Jesus stood for Stephen. If you look back in all of Scripture, I haven't found another time that this happens. Every time it talks about Jesus being in heaven, he is seated and sitting at the right hand of God which means he has taken his seat in the sense that his work is finished. We don't have to do any work that he's done it for us. That's the symbolism of that. And that he takes the power, uh, uh, the seat of power, that he overcomes all things. This is the only time I found in scripture where Jesus actually stands. And you say, why would Jesus stand in this moment? I think it's to, vind to vindicate the bravery and the courage and the faith of Stephen. To say, I see you. I see that faith. I see that courage. I see the reliance on me and the, the daily life of being lived in me that you can't respond out of character consistently. You only respond consistently within the character and the makeup of who you are. And Stephen, who you are is a man that's full of faith, a godly man full of reputation that lives for me and stands for me. And so Stephen, you stand for me. I'm standing for you because all these people falsely accuse you and whatever they say against you cannot stand because I am the ultimate judge. And Stephen, I stand to vindicate your bravery and your life and your courage. See, we never stand in our own power, but we try to do it every day. We try to do it every single day. What can I accomplish today? What can I do today? What doesn't scare me today? What doesn't cause me fear today? We never stand in our own power. Bravery and courage is only exemplified through our lives being lived in full control of the Spirit of God. And so in verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears. You know, like your kids do, la, 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 I can't hear you. That's awesome. Like the grown people, grown men. Like the high priest, like, I cannot hear a word you say. I don't care what you say. I like what I got. Don't say anything. When you're done talking, I'll take my fingers out of my ears and everything is going to go back to the way it was, right? La, 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 la. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They didn't throw pebbles. They picked up as big rocks as they could find and as they could throw and they stoned the man and they killed him. And the witness laid down the garments of the feet of a young man named 
Saul. Now, if you don't know biblical history, this man Saul, two chapters later, would become Paul. God would change his name, and not just change his name, but change the course of his life. A man who was a part of this group that was stoning Stephen would actually become a man who was living his life just as Stephen did, preaching the message of Christ to anyone who would listen, risking his own life. And so Saul stood there as a witness that day. And as they were stoning Stephen, I want you to watch this. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. There's another place you've heard that phrase before. It was Jesus on the cross. When he said, God, I've done everything I can. I have stood for you. And so God, you take my spirit. They can't take it. It belongs to you. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against them. There's one other place you've heard that spoken as well. Jesus on the cross at the end, when he was falsely accused, when he was attacked, when he was slandered. He said, Jesus, I love these, God, I love these people. I came for them. Don't hold this against them. Use this moment to change their lives. And Stephen spoke the very same words, an everyday normal human being. Stephen lived and Stephen died just like his Savior. Whatever you call me to do, wherever it is, no matter how short my life may be, I don't know for you what it is today. I don't know what God's calling you to step into. I don't know what area of life that he wants you to take on or walk away from. But Stephen was so filled with wisdom and grace that he had the courage to do what was right no matter what was coming at him. He was compelled by something greater than the unknown or the darkness or the fear. And the reason he was is because he was convinced that Jesus would stand for him. And he was confident that no matter what anybody did to him, God held his future. That no one else could control it. That his destiny was not in the hands of men. And for you today, I don't know what it is But I tell you this, you're probably not facing physical death, but it probably feels like it. Whatever's on the other side of that decision, that everyday decision to say, okay, God, whatever it is, whatever's on the other side feels like death to you. Spiritually, emotionally, maybe physically, it feels like you're having to let go of something or something in you has to die. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's your reputation. You're worried about what people are going to think or what they're going to say. Maybe it's financial gain. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a worldly possession. I don't know what it is. But you can't do it by yourself. The only way you can respond and react in this manner is to be filled with faith that God is in control no matter what's on the other side. But everyday people just like you and me are called and small moments when nobody else is looking and watching to display bravery and courage on behalf of our God. So I'm going to ask you this morning, we don't do this a lot, but I'm going to ask you to to stand in a second and we're going to pray together. And as we do, some of you need prayer. But to stand in the power of the Spirit means you need to stand in the power of the church that God has provided around you. You can't do this alone. And so maybe you just raise your hand or you go find somebody or you come to the front and hope somebody gathers around you. And you're not saying I'm weak, but you're saying you're weak. 
you're acknowledging, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I'm scared to death, but God, I know what compels me is greater than the fear that's coming at me. And so I acknowledge that and I say, God, I need your power. And so at this time, would you stand with us? And I'm going to lead us through some things to pray through. And if you want somebody to pray with you, go grab them, go find them. Don't, don't let that fear overcome you. Come to the front and gather while we're praying or while the band is singing in a moment. So at this time, if you don't mind, close your eyes and I'm just going to ask you to pray through a few things. I just want you to acknowledge first the power of God in your life and all of life. And I want you to voice to him your trust in his ability to overcome whatever is scaring you and causing fear in you in this moment. And now I want you to voice that to him. Whatever fear it is, whatever uncertainty, whatever difficulty, whatever pain, whatever hardship, whatever you know he's calling you to do that you've been running from, I want you to voice that to him. I want you to ask him to fill you so full of the spirit as you learn to study his word, as you learn to pray and to spend time with him, that you would be compelled, that it wouldn't be a decision, that it's a compulsion that you know God has led you to, equipped you for, and promised he would be there through. Father, we pray in this moment for one another and for ourselves that, God, we know those things that stand in front of us that try to destroy us or destroy our reputation or that attack us or slander us or cause us fear or trepidation. And God, we acknowledge that you're in control of all things, that no matter what comes at us, that you have the power and the ability and might to overthrow any of those things. And God, we also know that you choose sometimes to allow circumstances to be difficult so that we learn dependence upon you. And so God, in those moments, help us to learn to display bravery and courage, not because of our intellect or our own power, but because of our reliance on your power through the Spirit of God. And as we take these steps, Father, no matter what comes at us, no matter what people say about us, no matter what we even say about ourselves, Remind us of who you are and remind us of who we are because of you. That we are sons and daughters and children that you love. That you are compelling to go out and to share the hope and the faith that we have in different ways in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our homes. God, give us the bravery and courage to do what you have been calling us to do. Maybe it's overcoming an addiction. Maybe it's mending a relationship. 
Maybe it's allowing you to destroy the pride that props us up. But God, help us to be everyday men and women who trust and believe that you are good and that we are called and sent and compelled to share this hope that we have in Christ. Father, we thank you for supporting us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for dying on our behalf. We thank you for equipping us even when we feel ill-equipped. Give us the courage and bravery to do what it is you're calling us to do. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.